Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, disqualify. The state of Maine becomes the second to say Donald Trump is an insurrectionist barred from seeking the presidency. Now it's up to the Supreme Court. Plus, damage control mode. With just days to go until the first votes are cast, Nikki Haley is trying to move past a controversy. Her opponents are not so eager to let her. And where have all the Democrats gone? I'll talk to a leading liberal political analyst about how he thinks the party lost its way with working class voters and the dilemma Democrats face in turning it around. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, is Donald Trump eligible to be president again? That's the legal questioning question facing this country after Maine became the second state to say he's not because of the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding federal office. It is a recipe for constitutional chaos that the Supreme Court will almost surely have to solve. CNN senior crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polans joins me live. Caitlin. Dana, there are two states that are saying now Donald Trump is not eligible after looking at cases brought before them and determining that he did engage in in insurrection and that meant he could not be on their primary ballots as president for the 2020 elections that are upcoming as soon as March in Colorado and in Maine. But there are several states that say Trump is eligible to be on their ballots and have looked at this already, looked at challenges to his candidacy. So now the big question, Dana, is will the states get to decide this one by one or will the Supreme Court step in? The next thing that happens in Maine, at least, now that we have this decision from Secretary of State Shanna Bellows, is that Trump and his team will go to the Maine state courts and they will appeal. The courts will make a decision very likely by the end of January under the laws there. And then in Colorado, that decision from the highest court in that state, it's now before the Supreme Court. The Republican Party in Colorado is asking the U.S. Supreme Court to step in and provide some clarity, not just for the ballots in Colorado, but for everybody, because there are states splitting in different ways. And the Colorado GOP warns that if Colorado made this decision, there will be other states that follow. We just saw that with Maine yesterday. And yeah, and sticking with Maine, Caitlin, how did the secretary of state there say that she made her decision? Well, she made a pretty robust set of findings. She wrote a 34-page ruling to explain what happened here. She saw the petitions that she received from different voters in the state of Maine. There were three different petitions. And she looked at evidence. She looked at things like the January 6th House Committee report. She looked at Trump's own words. She looked at testimony from people in his administration, determined that 
Yes, January 6th was an insurrection. Uh, and yes, Trump did engage in that insurrection. It was quite clear his supporters wanted to overrun the Capitol and block the constitutional transfer of power of the presidency in 2021. And Trump was someone who was not only behind that, but took no steps to call those people off. He was engaged in it. And so she then, in addition to that, found she was responsible. Here's a little responsible to make that decision. Here's a little bit more about what Shanna Bellows said. Maine law specifically delegates to me, as Secretary of State, a requirement to review the qualifications for any candidate running for office. My obligation and duty, my sole consideration, is my oath to uphold the Constitution. So, Dana, quite a significant finding, but it is not the end of the road there in Maine. There is very likely to be some, some court action coming very soon. Yeah, no question about it. Caitlin, thank you so much for breaking that down for us. Let's bring in our panel, CNN national correspondent, Kristen Holmes, CNN chief legal affairs correspondent, Paula Reed, and CNN legal analyst, Elliot Williams. Happy last Friday of 2023, everybody. Uh, this is really fascinating. Uh, and the whole notion of this being untested uh, and when it comes to the federal courts when it comes to the Supreme Court. I know you both, all three of you have been talking about the fact that it is almost certain that the Supreme Court will have to take this up, never mind Maine, but because of what we've already seen in, uh, in Colorado. And if they don't take it up, that's effectively making a decision. It is. I mean, and that's a choice. That, that's an excellent point, Dan. That's a choice the Supreme Court can make. We operate under the assumption that everything that's sent to them that they have to review or whatever, mm -hmm. they could decide that, well, the way things have played out as is, is the way it ought to be. Uh, the former president won't be on the ballot in Colorado. He won't be on the ballot in Maine. And so be it. Now, look, this is a the, the framers of the country were very long on vision and very short on details. Mm -hmm. And they really did leave this open here. It, it's got to be resolved by yeah. the Supreme Court. It's such an open, important area of law. Completely it's got to be done. To not weigh in, I yeah. mean, that would be a disaster, not yeah. just for former President Trump, other candidates, but for the country. I mean, mm -hmm. here we have a split across the states on multiple constitutional questions that have never been resolved. This is what the Supreme Court is designed to do. Give us clarity on what the 14th yeah. Amendment means and the power that state officials do or do not have to remove people from the ballot and this other question, okay, even if they have the power to do that, does that conflict with the First Amendment right that political parties have? We don't know. The Supreme Court must win. That's a hugely important point, sort of why we have a Supreme yeah. Court. It's not just an, an additional court that things go to. It was designed yeah. to resolve debates between the states or debates between federal courts around the country. This is a debate. It's not resolved. The Supreme Court's got to fix well, and it. Well, by the way, I mean, Trump's team is banking on this going to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Of all of the legal problems that Donald Trump has, this is really the one they feel the least concerned right. about. They believe at the end of the day, he will be on the ballot in all 50 states. And that's because they believe they have strength in their arguments. They also look to the various states who have already either had a secretary of state reject this. Now that's Democratic and Republican states, Democratic and Republican secretary of states, people who have spoken out against him. Brad Raffensperger, they didn't want to take this on. They kept him on the ballot there in Georgia. The other part of this is that if this does go to the Supreme Court because of the strength of their arguments, they believe that they can make in the public case of public opinion that this was just done politically mm -hmm. based on the Colorado judges, 
Secretary of State in Maine. Well, somebody else uh, who is not happy about this, this kind of gives a window into the politics of this, is Democratic Congressman Jared Golden of Maine. He is uh, somebody who is always one of the most endangered Democrats Mm. because he's in a pretty conservative uh, district in Maine. Here's what he said. I voted to impeach Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection. I do not believe he should be reelected as president of the United States. However, we are a nation of laws. Therefore, until he is actually found guilty of the crime of insurrection, he should be allowed on the ballot. Now, you're shaking your head because you're probably going to say what what the Secretary of State in Maine said, Secretary of State Bellows, which is... In response to him, the 14th Amendment does not say conviction. It says engage. With all due respect, Congressman, wrong, 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 wrong. It's a perfectly valid position that he's taking, but nowhere in the Constitution does it say that someone needs to be convicted of insurrection or whatever else before being removed from the ballot. And say it again with me, this is why the Supreme Court needs to take this (laughs) this issue up, because there are these questions of how you even define what the term insurrection means, how you establish whether somebody's an insurrectionist, who makes the decision altogether, that these are all open and just and need to be resolved. Because I would argue uh, on the other side, right. though, I don't think what uh, the crafters of this amendment intended was for officials who are either appointed or elected, political appointees or elected to office, to be interpreting the Constitution and well, making decision about their right. well, it was, rivals. It was put in because of, a confederacy. Uh, of yeah. the right. Confederacy after exactly. the uh, Civil War. Let's talk a little bit more about the politics of this and the way that Donald Trump's Republican rivals for the nomination are responding to this is quite telling about how potent an issue it is uh, that could help him, Donald Trump. Let's listen. It really opens up Pandora's box. I don't think that this ultimately will be legally sustained uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court. But I do think that this is going to be a constant throughout the election year where there's going to be different parts of these legal cases uh, that are going to be front and center. It makes him a martyr. You know, he, he's very good at playing poor me, poor me. This should be decided by the voters of the United States. It should not be decided by courts. Um, and the fact is that while there may be um, people may think there's some justification for doing this. It's not good for our democracy. So Donald Trump has said all of his legal issues that he is facing are political. They are Joe Biden coming after him. All of his political opponents persecuting him for running against the uh, uh, Democrat Joe Biden. However, that argument works with his base and some outside Republicans, but not a wide swath of people. They believe privately that this actually helps him with many more people because you are starting to hear Democrats, Republicans, Republicans who don't like Donald Trump coming out and saying this is not right. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Donald Trump needs. He needs people to rally around him. They have tried to do that with the other legal cases. Sure, it has worked. He has seen a boost in the polls. He has seen a boost in fundraising. But that's not really getting anyone outside of that group. I don't want to uh, leave this discussion without turning a couple of notches to some excellent reporting that our colleagues have done on the question of uh, the fake elector scheme. 
yeah. and new information that our colleagues have gotten, Paula. So this is from our, our justice team, and they learned that in the days leading up to January 6th that Trump operatives were planning to fly fake electoral certificates to Washington for possible consideration by then Vice President Mike Pence. Now, they did not follow through uh, with this plan, but it's really interesting because we know that the fake elector scheme is, is an important part of the indictment against former President Trump in that January 6th trial, which is currently on, on hold. This, this is kind of vaguely referenced, and it's unclear, really, the extent to which this will, will factor into any potential trial against the former president. But it speaks to this larger concern that a lot of people in and around January 6th should have about cooperating witnesses. Because mm. this information came from Ken Chesbro, mm. who is a former Trump lawyer. He has a plea deal down in Georgia. He's talking to prosecutors in other states. And he has a particular animus towards Trump lawyers. He believes they lied to him. They lied to Congress. He even said, I don't have particularly warm feelings uh, about them. So they should be really concerned. Because clearly he's sharing a lot of really damaging information with the government. Wow. So fascinating. It is great reporting. Such a great discussion. Don't go anywhere because coming up, we're going to talk about cleanup on the campaign trail. Nikki Haley is still in New Hampshire trying to recover from her Civil War gaffe. We're going to get an update from the Granite State when we come back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Today, Nikki Haley is heading to Iowa after her swing through New Hampshire. Didn't go quite as planned. She's spent the past 36 hours trying to recover from a town hall moment when she conspicuously failed to say slavery when asked about the cause of the Civil War. Of course, the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's, that's the easy part of it. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. By the grace of God, we did the right thing and slavery is no more. But the lessons of what that bigger issue with the Civil War is that let's not forget what came out of that. If it required clarification of saying, yes, the Civil War was about slavery, I'm happy to do that. If you grow up in the South, it's a given that it's about slavery. To me, it was about but freedom. 
Now, Haley did not mention the controversy this morning at her town hall in New Hampshire. CNN's Eva McKen spent the week following Nikki Haley in the Granite State, where she still is. Eva, you know, her competitors are very um, eager to condemn these remarks and keep this going as much as she wants to move on. They are, Dana, because this entire episode really gave them an opening to advance an argument that they have long made. So they argue, for instance, that she's inconsistent on some policy issues and that she doesn't answer questions directly out of fear of offending any constituency. Here's Governor DeSantis. She's asked a very simple question and responded with just a really incomprehensible word salad. This is not a candidate uh, that's ready for prime time. Not that difficult uh, to identify uh, and acknowledge uh, the role slavery played in, in the Civil War. So her critics aside, Dana, really the most important judge are the voters. And I have to say, as we were speaking to them at her various stops this week in New Hampshire, they seemed largely forgiving. They understood uh, sort of her backtrack here. And they seemed more concerned about other issues. So uh, one man telling me that he uh, thinks that she would be a strong president. Another person telling me that she thinks that uh, she could go up against former President Trump. So. That is something that they that these voters tell me that they're more concerned about than this episode. But we'll have to see if it, it dogs her with certain voters. There was one man uh, last night in Lebanon who uh, was peeved by this whole thing. And he was really upset because uh, Haley would not definitively say that if she were to lose the nomination and Trump were to win the nomination, that she would refuse to be his vice presidential nominee. She only said that she doesn't play for seconds. Mm -hmm. But again, that's sort of that cutesiness that her rivals uh, object to, not a definitive response. Dana? Eva, thank you for that reporting, and we're going to play that moment for our viewers in a bit. Thank you so much. And let's bring in our panel of political reporters. CNN's Kristen Holmes is still here, along with Margaret Tollov of Axios, and CNN's Priscilla Alvarez. Uh, we just heard in Eva's report, Ron DeSantis. Uh, the person who I think is most interesting in seizing on this in the state of New Hampshire is the person who has the most to gain politically in the state of New Hampshire. Chris Christie. Let's listen to some of what he said, because at every stop, every chance he has in front of a microphone for the past 36 hours, he's talked about it. What she has said over the last couple of days here in New Hampshire isn't because she doesn't get it. It isn't because she's not smart. She's smart and she knows exactly what she's doing. And when she didn't bring that up, it's because she has had a history of being unwilling to offend anyone by telling the truth. How can you want to be the Republican candidate for president and not be able to tell people that that's where we stand? It's because some people in her home state are still fighting that war. And she has come accustomed to not offending anyone. Margaret, is that what it is? Is it that she appeared to just be so careful or is it something else? Or is it, as Eva's hearing, most importantly, on the campaign trail, that People are ready to move on, the people who matter the most to her, which are the voters. Well, I mean, I can't get inside Nikki Haley's head. The way I read it when it first happened was she didn't want to use the word slavery because she didn't want that to become the soundbite that everyone would be talking about. And guess what? <laughs> We're t we've been talking about it for the last 48 hours. So right. that plan didn't work. Um, 
Does Nikki Haley well know the history of slavery in South Carolina, the South and the United States? Yes, obviously. Is Nikki Haley trying to stitch together a coalition of uh, Republican voters or people who can vote in a Republican primary or in an open primary that tries to cobble together people who are extremely anti-Trump, people who are pro-Trump but want an alternative, people who are, you know, old school, people who are progressive. Like, she's kind of trying to do it all because she needs to do it all if she's going to get anywhere close to Donald Trump. And these are sort of the politically catastrophic consequences when you try to thread the needle that way. Um, for Christie, where there's been pressure on him to get out to try to consolidate support mm -hmm. around Haley, this is a great predicate for him yeah. to say, I'm the only person who's willing to just say what's true, and this is why I need to stay in the race. That's exactly right. Go ahead. Well, and I don't think we should overlook the Ron DeSantis either, because not long ago we were talking about his state and the Board of Education passing new standards on how they taught black history, and it was in that moment that the vice president was deployed to the state in a rapid response way to give a final speech about how Republicans were revising history. Are they going to deploy her, you think, on this one? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's the holidays. Okay. Fair. It's a different time of year. But in the year to come, this is her role. Deploy her. She's the rapid response. We saw examples of it already this year with Florida, mm -hmm. with Tennessee, when she went there when the lawmakers mm -hmm. were expelled over gun control. So this, I think, is how the White House views the vice president in this moment. When there is a moment to capture or seize on she can go there and she can give those fiery speeches. And so far, she has been able to perform on that front. I think my biggest takeaway from this is that Donald Trump still seems to control the Republican Party and the narrative, given the fact that look at the way these rivals are responding. They are not willing to give her any leeway, any sort of break. Yet when Donald Trump goes up there and says that immigrants are poisoning the blood of America, not really a peep other than maybe he shouldn't use certain words. And that is really telling to me of where we are here. Everyone's willing to go after her, who is a strong second in Iowa, maybe, maybe. I mean, both think DeSantis will be second, she'll be third, but she, that's where the fight is. Right. I mean, it, it's just- It's such an- being held to a completely different, a different standard. standard. Yeah. Because the expectations are different. It's right, exactly. She's, she's being held to the old school she's political standard. She's being standard. held to a- normal standard. Right, the old school political yeah. standard before everybody's lives were overturned and, in 2016 by yeah. this new norm. And everybody is held to a standard right. of like that, unless they're Donald Trump, right. which is part of the frustration of all of these, of all of his rivals. Uh, Eva talked about a moment uh, last night, I believe it was, with Nikki Haley and a voter who, like New Hampshire voters are want to do, uh, stood up and was very direct with her about his feeling about what happened with this gaffe, but also asked a question going forward relating to Donald Trump. Is it a chance to redeem yourself after last night's slavery thing? Um, would you be able to say categorically that you will not accept being Trump's vice president? And, you know, the reason is I, I've got this ballot here, and I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to mark you or Chris Christie. You may heavily dislike Trump. I get it. And Chris is obsessed with his dislike for Trump. But if you go in with that kind of obsession, you're not going in with the clarity of moving our country forward. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. There was no answer there. There was no which, answer there. Which 
probably didn't help with that particular voter who was looking for anybody but Trump. And I'm also sure that Nikki Haley saw the same reports that we all did, that Donald Trump was floating her name around for vice president. Now, to be clear, he has floated probably at least that I know of, more than a half dozen names to various <laughs> associates, to reporters, to donors. Uh, but she clearly does not want to make any defined decision here, even when put on the spot. Well, and it, it's interesting because when you talk to Biden campaign officials, it's moments like this that they can point to and say there's still a primary playing out within mm. the Republican Party. They're still deciding who's going to be the nominee, even if it's clear who the front runner is. And that's why they've withheld some of their most aggressive responses to the former president. From their perspective, until he's the nominee, they don't have to go in as hard, even though some of what the former president has already said as a candidate are just very inflammatory. They have stepped up their response to Nikki Haley, which I thought has they been have. really interesting. Um, you know, we showed yesterday the tweet from the president. Yeah, saying he simply the answer said is, it was about slavery. It was about slavery, yeah. and he doesn't engage very much at all uh, when it comes to politics, particularly on the Republican side. And that's the argument that she makes, that, well, she argued that this voter was a Democratic plant. We don't have any um, proof of that. But regardless of whether he was or not, she argues that the Biden campaign, the White House, is very concerned about the notion of a Nikki Haley Republican uh, nominee, nomination, rather, because she is the biggest threat to Donald, uh, to Joe Biden. And if you look at the polls, she's not wrong. Yes, uh, although the White House may be slightly less concerned after the last 48 hours. <laughs> Maybe. But, but fundamentally, like, look, if you're a Republican who's decided, or an independent who's decided Nikki Haley is the candidate for you, I don't think this is going to fundamentally shake your, your game plan, I guess. I don't know. We should be talking to more voters. But fundamentally, when you're 35, trying to close a 35-point gap yeah. in Iowa, and a slightly smaller gap in New Hampshire, I'm not sure that incremental is going to get you where you need to be either. Sometimes maybe the direct answer is the right answer. Before we go to break, I just have to ask you, did you see on Newsmax that Don, Donald Trump Jr. said that he'd go to great lengths to prevent Nikki Haley from being his father's running mate? And it's not just Don Jr. It's a lot of his closest allies. We've heard this on, on the record from Marjorie Taylor Greene. There is an entire sect of MAGA right-wing aligned Republicans who have said that there is no way that Nikki Haley yeah. will be vice president because they will make sure of it. It, it. There's clearly a movement there that is trying to and we are changing ties. To be to be sure, we are getting ahead of ourselves. Very early. Very, <laughs> very, very early. early. We have to continue. But to it say was that. interesting <laughs> that his son said that. Uh, everybody stand by. Up next, Russia launched the biggest barrage of strikes into Ukraine since the war there began. President Biden just responded. We'll tell you what he said next. I want to turn now to breaking news in the war between Ukraine and Russia. A new wave of strikes by Russia on Ukraine. It's the worst since the war was just beginning. President Biden is now speaking out about it. CNN's Kevin Liptak joins me now from St. Croix, where the president is vacationing. Kevin, what did the president say? 
Yeah, the president is really trying to use this barrage of missiles in Ukraine as a moment to remind the American people of the stakes of this war. And he does say in the statement that this does show show the world that Russian President Vladimir Putin's goals haven't changed in the nearly two years since he invaded Ukraine. But I think unsurprisingly, he's also trying to use this to call on Congress to continue passing more assistance for Ukraine. Because as you'll remember, this has been caught up in a back and forth. President Biden has requested nearly 60 million billion dollars in additional assistance to Ukraine. And he's using this moment to remind lawmakers of why this is so important. The president says the American people can be proud of the lives that we helped to save and the support that we have given Ukraine as it defends its people, its freedom and its independence. But unless Congress takes ur urgent action in the new year, we will not be able to continue sending the weapons and vital air defense systems Ukraine needs. We cannot let our allies and partners down. We cannot let you Ukraine down, history will judge harshly those who fail to answer freedom's call. And the president is making the point that, you know, American systems, you know, the Patriot missile batteries, the other defense systems that he and the American people have provided Ukraine over the course of the last two years have actually saved lives, including today. But that if that assistance isn't continuing, then the Ukrainian people will essentially be left defenseless to this kind of attack from Russia. Now, just this week, the United States said it had uh, expended the authorizations that are currently in place, $250 million drawdown. That was the last one that the White House says it's able to provide unless Congress passes this new assistance. Of course, it is caught up in these discussions over immigration. Lawmakers mm -hmm. did leave Washington without any agreement, and it's certainly unclear when and how they will come to agreement on that new Ukraine aid, certainly because many Republicans in the House remain opposed to it. So President Biden really trying to underscore the stakes uh, as this barrage of missiles happens today, Dana. And uh, the fact that he is away, first of all, that's a real hardship assignment you've got there, Kevin. But the, the fact that he is away, and, uh, and this is obviously a huge development in Ukraine, do you have any understanding of whether or not he is trying to work the phones on this holiday week to try to get any more support based on what we're seeing in Ukraine? Uh, for more right. money, more 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 aid, or military aid, more you know, all, all of the funding that he's been pushing for from Congress when they return. Right. And, you know, these presidential vacations, they're always a balancing act between, you know, family time and the crisis management that comes with a job. And we do know that the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, is here on St. Croix with the president. Jake Sullivan spoke to the Polish Secretary of State today to discuss this incident, a report involving a, a missile that entered Polish airspace. So certainly the president has sort of the apparatus around him. But when it comes to passing more money, I think this is really a matter that he's leaving to members of Congress because it is so tied up in those immigration talks. White House officials have been involved in those talks. The president says he's willing to make significant concessions. That has concerned certainly some progressives when it comes to new rules for the border. But certainly his big objective is getting this new aid passed. And I think this will help him in some ways to underscore the stakes of that assistance going forward. Kevin, thank you for bringing us that reporting from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Appreciate it. Up next, by at least one measure, the Biden economy is one of the strongest in modern history for a president running for re-election. What will it do in 2024? The projections and whether or not voters are actually going to start feeling it when we come back. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. The unemployment rate is near half a century low. That's where it is. And the Dow is at a record high. Inflation is cooling. Consumers are spending. And yet, voters still say the economy is in bad shape. In a recent poll, 78% say it's poor or just fair. So we want to get a reality check now from CNN business reporter Matt Egan. Matt, first, let's just look at this from the historical context. How good is the economy right now? Well, Dana, this was supposed to be the year of recession. Instead, it's been the year of resilience. Despite all the gloom and doom, despite all the political turmoil, despite all the war, this economy just keeps chugging along. And that is a big reason why the stock market has been on fire. S&P 500 up about 25% so far this year. The Nasdaq is on pace for its best year since 2003. Uh, Jobs are plentiful. Unemployment rate below 4% for 22 months in a row. The rate of inflation has cooled dramatically. And gas prices are down, too, below $3 a gallon in 28 states. A year ago, few people would have predicted any of those developments, let alone all of them. But here we are. Now, one way to look at how the economy impacts people is something called the misery index. This is calculated by adding the unemployment rate and the inflation rate. The higher the number, the more miserable the voter. And what's interesting is that under President Biden, the misery index is actually quite low compared with other presidents at this point Mm. in their first term. Look at that. Wow. Lower than under Obama or George W. Bush or Clinton, all of whom, of course, went on to win re-election, much lower than Jimmy Carter, who went on to lose in 1980. The only one that actually has a lower rating here for the misery index is former President Trump. Of course, then COVID happened a few months later, Mm -hmm. turning the whole world upside down. So, Dana, this is a metric that if the trend continues, it bodes pretty well for President Biden. It does, except the question that is such a vexing one for the Biden re-election campaign. And that is, why aren't voters saying that they believe that the economy is as good as all of the data says it is? Right. That is the trillion dollar question. And Mm -hmm. so I asked Moody's analytics chief economist Mark Zandi about that, and he pointed to two big factors. One, political polarization. Republicans and Democrats love the economy when their guy is in office and they hate it when the other party's in power, no matter what the numbers say. The other big factor here is inflation, right? The cost of living. Mm -hmm. Yes, the rate of inflation has cooled. But this is cumulative. The average household is spending $1,000 more than three years ago for the same goods and services because of inflation. Now, when we look forward to 2024, there's a couple of big factors I think we need to keep an eye on. One is the Fed. When does the Fed declare in a victory over inflation by cutting rates? That's huge for Main Street because it means lower mortgage rates and credit card rates and car loan rates. When do wages completely surpass the rate of inflation? We also obviously need to keep an eye on the wars in Ukraine and Middle East because that has the potential to derail the economy, to unwind the progress on inflation. And then lastly is the presidential election. 
Of course, the economy has the potential to impact the election. But the opposite is true, too. If this is a contested election, there's, it could cause uncertainty or even social unrest that could impact the economy. So we need to keep an eye on that as well, Dana. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. I really, as always, just learned a lot from you. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, And up next, the Democratic Party once had a lock on union working class households and a base that elected the first black president. Where is that coalition now? We're going to talk to a political scholar about it when we come back. More than 20 years ago, two political scholars argued that the Democratic Party's coalition would control politics. And for a little while, it looked like they might be right. A left of center party with a diverse base elected the first black president in 2008 and won control of the House and Senate. But then the election of President Donald Trump upended some of those early 2000s theories. So the question is, what changed? What went wrong for Democrats with those predictions. One of the the experts and co-author of a new book, Where Have All the Democrats Gone, is here. Rui Teixeira joins me now. Thank you so much for coming in. So you point to two factions in the Mm -hmm. Democratic Party, uh, what you call the shadow party of activists, Mm -hmm. and then Silicon Valley and and the Wall Street types. Can you explain these two factions and how you think that they are actually problems for the Democratic Party? Sure. I mean, and the way I think about it, Dana, is uh, the Democratic Party in the broad sweep of the last 50 years has said a kind of long goodbye to the working class. Mm. Uh, there was a great divide that opened up economically and culturally between the working class and the college educated in the last part of the 20th century. And like we saw the white working class move away from the Democrats in a big way. And then in the 21st century, we saw increased movement of the white working class away from the Democrats and a sort of cultural identification of the Democrats uh, with basically the sort of college-educated, liberal-ish, in in many ways almost radical views on race, gender, crime, immigration, and so on. And so the result of this is a movement of the working class en masse away from the Democrats. Now, in 2016, Democrats thought, well, okay, the white working class bailed out on us. But why did they do that? Because Trump is a racist and a xenophobe. We can't reach these voters anyway. Who cares, basically? But then the thing that happened, of course, they lost the presidency. But then in 2020, we see non-white, particularly Hispanic working class voters moving away from the Democrats. And we still see that today in all the polling. So, in fact, if you really just count the noses of who supports who in this country, Republicans are now the party of the working class. They get more working class votes than the Democrats do. And if you look at it, sort of any given poll, the Democrats will be up by like 10 or 15 points among college educated voters voters and down by 15 or 20 points among working class voters. So that that's a huge change. And it represents a party that's more dominated by these college educated voters, elites, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Hollywood. I mean, there's a whole identification of the Democratic Party with uh, a group of institutions, activists, foundations, academia, you name it, that all push the Democrats in a direction that's away from the priorities and the culture of working class voters. And that now shows in the the polls. You also write about immigration. Correct. Uh, You and uh, your colleague, John 
Judas wrote in the Wall Street Journal last month, Republicans would eventually make opposition to illegal immigration their signature issue. Democrats went into, excuse me, went in the opposite direction, supported surprisingly by labor unions. The AFL-CIO's abandonment of employer verification and sanctions undercut any attempt by the Democratic Party to stop illegal immigration. And soon, mm -hmm. Democratic activists became unwilling to even debate the issue. That's right. I mean, most Democrats don't know this anymore. Or if they knew it, they've forgotten it. But Democrats were once a party that stood for controlling immigration. The Jordan Commission in the 80s basically was uh, oriented toward trying to damp down the level of, of immigration, of having an E-Verify system so employers couldn't employ illegal immigrants. And there was a sense that, you know, high levels of immigration basically uh, constrict and, and constrain the low-wage labor market and undercut unionization. But that really disappeared in the late 90s, and now in the 21st century, we see Democrats identified with not exactly open borders, but pretty porous borders, and a sort of lack of concern, as it were, with border security. And we see this during Biden's cam uh, Biden, Biden administration campaign. And we also see it, and this is very important, I think, politically right now, the, the Republicans and the Democrats are trying to cut a deal on tightening up border yes. security versus Israel and Ukraine funding. They've had incredible amount of difficulty doing this to Democrats because there's a big faction of the party that does not want to compromise in any way on border security because they feel border security is like well, kind of like racism. Yeah. So well, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's I, the other issue, as you know, is that it's not just border security. They're trying to significantly overhaul some of the key asylum laws. And right. So well, that's but, how you can tighten it up. Yeah. Because by, by, the asylum system is huge but, in terms of the immigration problem. I, I just want to show our viewers some uh, some data. Okay. Of what voters, uh, how voters went starting from 1992 to 2020. And the voters we're talking about here are the ones that you write about, non-college educated white voters. Mm -hmm. If you look at the data, 92, uh, Bill Clinton, 39%. Mm-hmm. Makes your point that it was already a majority for Republicans. Um, it hasn't changed that much. Uh, probably the, the low mark was in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald Trump and it went up slightly in 2020. So it hasn't, when you look at the coalition mm -hmm. uh, in and around Barack Obama, it hasn't changed that dramatically since then. Well, one thing to note it's about- around the, the margins. Right. One thing to notice about the, uh, the Clinton vote is he actually carried the white working class vote because there were so many votes for Perot. Mm. So he actually carried the working class, Bill Clinton, white working, Bill Clinton mm. in the white working class vote in 92 and 96 by a, by a point or two. Mm. So in a way, one way to think about what's happened is that heavily working class Perot vote on the presidential level, which was you know, for a third party candidate, moved over, over time into the Republican camp en masse. And that's not just at the presidential level, but also for a lot of uh, congressional seats and, and particularly a lot of Senate seats where the Democrats are no longer competitive what? in a lot of these states. So that's a lot about what happened to the Democratic coalition between the 90s and today. And again, as I, I'm pointing out, in 2020 and, and now we see this movement of the non-white working class away from the Democrats yeah. as well. So you, you do see this coalition shifting again where Republicans are more a working class party right. than the Democrats. And that's such a change from 
the historic image and practice of the yeah. Democratic Party, and it's it defines not, our politics today, I think. Definitely not FDR's Democratic Party. Anymore. No, so, it's not, not, we, not his party anymore. Your father's Democratic yeah. Party is different. We, uh, the question is, how competitive is it? Can the Democrats get to where they want to go we, with this COVID? We got we to gotta end the show now. We appreciate you coming. Come back, and we'll talk about what you think the solutions are for the Democratic Party. I would love party. to. Thank I'll, you. I'll, Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 